When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Tim Bielek, Bill Landis inside, surrounded by four walls and a ceiling. So uh, no planes flying overhead, no crickets chirping. Um, unless you would like us to make cricket sounds, we could certainly do that. It's a really hard sound to make. Does that sound like it? It's easy. You just pull a video up on the internet. They got those all over the place. Yeah. Tim, if you could look for a cricket video right now. Um, we're doing Buckeye Talk Inside. We're going to talk about Nick Bosa. We're going to talk about steak, probably. We might talk about Nebraska a little bit. Uh, we have a lot of good questions from you guys again. We're almost there. We're almost there. We're almost to Penn State. We're not to Penn State yet. But I do think Nebraska might be interesting, but probably not that interesting. Um, But we will be in Lincoln on Saturday night, me and Bill and Tim. So make sure you're following us in the lead up to that. And once we get there for for this seventh game of Ohio State season. But we want to start first. um, If you guys didn't see it on Cleveland.com, we did our offensive and defensive MVPs. We did our overall team MVPs. That went up Wednesday morning. And so we want to talk about the guy that I think we probably all agree is the best player on the team right now and like what exactly it is that he is doing to be good, to get better, to make this team better, to potentially be a game changer that can, I think, I think maybe kind of carry a team. Um, And when we think, I think we need to keep this guy in mind when we analyze every game from here on out. Just how, the way we're going to talk about Saquon Barkley when Ohio State plays, plays Penn State and talk about him in a way that there's nobody else like him, you have to figure out how to slow him down. I think Penn State is going to be talking the same way about Nick Bosa. Is that too, as we, as we get into some Nick Bosa discussion here to start Buckeye Talk, is that a crazy thing to say for me to try to couch Nick Bosa in Saquon Barkley terms. No, I don't think like from a talent standpoint, no, like clearly the thing that makes it tough is he's not on the field all the time. Like I watched every snap he had against Maryland. He had 22 snaps and he wasn't on the field. Like for the first two series, he was not on the field on first and second down. He didn't come on until they got into the rushman package on third down. So like third down, definitely like find out where Nick Bosa is, but I don't know if you can have him in the same vein as Saquon Barkley. When Saquon Barkley's on the field every offensive snap and Nick Bosa's on the field for half of the defensive snaps, maybe, not always even that, even that much. And, Tim, you and I both uh, picked Saquon Barkley to win the Heisman. 
uh, before the season, along with a lot of other people. That pick is not you, Bill Mason Rudolph. That pick is looking pretty good right now. We've seen what Saquon Barkley can do. But for instance, last last week, um, Northwestern seemed to be selling out to try to slow him down a little bit. Then he popped a big one at the end. Uh, but also, I mean, Northwestern got its butt kicked by Penn State because when you sell out to stop a guy, then other things can happen for a team. Is there any? Is that a reasonable comparison, or does that sound crazy to you to talk about Nick Bosa that way? It sounds crazy, but not in the way you would think so. It's because you, if you sell out a Nick Bosa, you still have to deal with Tyquan Lewis and Draymond Jones on the defensive line when both when Draymond's healthy, and it. I mean, you can have one game-breaker on defense, but it's another thing to have a game-breaker on defense when you already have established players on that defensive line. Like, we knew going in that this defensive line was really good. We knew Tyquan Lewis has been leading the team in sacks for the last couple seasons. Draymond Jones has looked like, you know, a guy who has first-round potential. Then all of a sudden, Nick Bosa becomes the best player on that defensive line. And now you have a situation where I think it almost be... A situation where Greg Schell would love to be like, yeah, go ahead and sell out Nick Bosa because then I got Ty- I can throw Tyquan Lewis at you. I could throw Draymond Jones at you. It's that balance of yeah, he's that good, but you also have to respect everybody else on the defense because they're good as well. That selling out on Nick Bosa sounds like a terrible strategy. He is having that happen. People it's are funny. selling out now. I I remember against Maryland, specifically seeing it on one play where he got triple teamed. But you said, Bill, in the rewatch, you saw it happen at least twice, right? Yeah, do you, do you remember remember when <laughs> in the game you saw him? Yeah, it was in the series where on first down he tipped the pass uh, that was completed for five yards, and on second down he blew up a run play for a loss of two, and then on third down they triple teamed him. So it was later in the game, I think. Okay, so that was in the second quarter. It was late second quarter. And then in the third quarter, it was uh, Maryland's first drive of the third quarter. If you re- remember the play when Tyquan Lewis got the sack, he like shot into the backfield, like just straight up the middle, and got the sack on that play. And it wasn't; it was like it was, it was certainly a double team. Uh, the right tackle and the right guard both blocked Nick Bosa, and then the center like whiffed on Tyquan Lewis, so that he went to go block Nick Bosa too. So while Tyquan Lewis was sacking the quarterback, there were three offensive linemen blocking Nick Bosa. Which is the whole point, which yeah. is the point that Tim was just making of, like, you key on a guy and it opens other things. And that's what we're talking – Joey Bosa's last year at Ohio State was not as productive on the stat sheet as his sophomore year because people did that all the time. I and mean, people were sort of wondering, oh, why doesn't, why doesn't Joey Bosa have more sacks? And I think, you know, I mean, we, we realized that nobody in the moment was thinking he wasn't a good player. We all realized what was happening, but I think I remember the first time Joey Bosa got triple teamed, and it was like, wow, that was a moment. Nick Bosa, I feel like that might be what happens in the second half of this year already, because right now, he has 10 tackles for loss in six games, playing not close to full time. And four sacks, right? Is that what he has? Yeah. Yeah. That's more, the 10 tackles for loss is more, is double what anybody else on the team has. The four sacks leads the team. It's it's that because he gets in there and blows up run plays too. I yeah, mean, that like, was, he has some yeah. great penetration that he is not only uh, a rush the passer guy. Yeah, there was a few plays and you'll see it. I'm going to have a, like a 
thing with a bunch of gifs on cleveland.com and it's going to be all nick bosa stuff and you'll see there are times and he's done it in previous games too where he'll engage the tackle and he'll he'll get his arm extended and kind of just stand the guy up and it's a run play that's inside either to his left or his right depending on the side of the field but it's happening off to the side of him he he, he stands the tackle up basically just like shoves him away and then crashes down on the ball carrier near the line of scrimmage and stops him for either no gain or like a one yard gain it's really impressive how he can go from Pass rush, like one step pass rush, hit the tackle, and then his next step is laterally crashing down to the interior of the line and either bringing a guy down himself or, or helping his teammates uh, limit the ball carrier to, to no gain or, or a short gain. All right, so let's get inside Nick Bose a little bit. It's funny. The, the thing against UNLV when he, like, predicted a shutout, I mean, it was like the, it was the, the least big deal anybody ever made. Of like saying, oh, we're going to shut you out. Like it was nothing. And it's not that he didn't mean it. It's just that he like didn't think anything of it. Yeah. Because I think he is a supremely confident person. Is that a fair assessment, do you guys say? That is fair. Yeah, I'd say so. So how is he handling it now? Because he is supremely confident and now he is getting to be supremely good. And it is a interesting line to walk at a place where, A, you're sharing time, B, there's future NFL guys all over the place, C, and, and not that any head coaches go in for that stuff, but Urban Meyer, you know, like, wouldn't love that if you're sitting around talking about how great you are. You talked to him when we had interviews on Tuesday night, Bill. Tim was talking to some other people. I was talking to some other people. You were at Nick Bosa. How was he? Uh, a little different. I think he's he's trying to reel it in a little bit. Um and it's not that he's lost any of his confidence because he was asked a question, and I don't know, maybe they just haven't watched much film on, on Nebraska's offensive line, or he clearly, he didn't even really bother to, to look at it all that in depth. But someone said, like, what do you see out of Nebraska's offensive line? And he was like, I, I don't know. I think we're better than everybody or something along those lines. Like, it doesn't matter who we're playing. I'm confident that we're going to beat whatever, whichever offensive line is in front of us. But that was that was a, a, a statement about the collective. It wasn't about him. And I think that's what's changing. I asked him after the Indiana game, the opener, like, I, just, I basically, it wasn't even a question. I was like, man, you looked awesome. Like, you looked unblockable. He's like, yeah, I was having my way with them. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> thanks, Nick Bosa. That's a, that's a great quote. Um, he's not going to say that anymore. I think he, he thinks that, definitely, and it's been mostly true this year. Um, but I think in, in a world where they're rotating and they have a good thing going with the defensive lineman. I think he's going to try to deflect some of the attention that's going to keep coming his way and bring it back to the collection of defensive ends and the defensive line as a whole. Because I asked him again on Tuesday, I said, like, do you think it's crazy you got triple teamed? And he's like, yeah, but we're all playing well. That would happen to anybody. It just happened to happen to me on one or two plays. And it's frankly kind of boring um, that, he's, that he's – And it's not true. It's not true. No, it's not <laughs> true. Like, they, they, they could tri- – Tyquan Lewis has led – the team in sacks the last two years is the reigning defensive Big Ten defensive lineman of the year. He ain't getting triple teamed. Yeah, Nick Bosa is, but I think and it's probably the smart way to play it. As much as it is boring for us, he he knows the the discussion happening around him and how well he's playing, and he doesn't want to be the guy that draws all the attention onto himself. But he did say this: um, he's he's already looking forward to next year when it seems like in his head he thinks there will be less of a rotation and he'll be featured more. Yeah, because next year, here's going to be – this is what the defensive end rotation is going to be next year. Nick Bosa, Chase Young. 
Jonathan Cooper will mix in, but he's not. No, but I, I know what you're <laughs> yeah. saying. Like he's going to play, but I don't think it'll. As much as I'll say we're rotating, we're ro- like you shouldn't rotate. You're, talk- you're talking about Nick Bosa and then a guy who is considered as good as Nick Bosa and Chase Young coming out of high school. You're going to have on one side, you will have the guy who's going to be like the fourth pick in the 2019 draft, and on the other side, you're going to have the guy who's going to be like the second pick in the 2020 draft. I said that I don't remember when I said it. Um, I said it sometime during camp, I think, and I said their defensive ends next year are going like their pass rush. I think is going to be better next year than it is right now. It's pretty good right now. That's and I know like you want to be fresh, whatever. If Jonathan Cooper will play a little bit, keep you fresh, and I don't even know who else will play. Maybe Brenton Cox is a true freshman or whoever else they bring in in this class, but it's going to be mostly Bosa and Chase Young. I think those guys on the field a lot is better than these four rotating. That's the sign. That's the signal for a Chase Young tangent alert. <laughs> I remember we talked about the freshman early in the year, who was going to play and how guys were going to do. I did not think Chase Young was going to play because there wasn't room. Tim, he's playing. Are you surprised that they have worked Chase Young in legitimately as like the fifth guy, not in the rotation as much as the other four, but they play Chase Young as a true freshman? I don't think there's, to me, I'm not surprised because, I mean, you just look at the guy and he looks like a junior. He looks like a guy who's been in the program for three years. He's like a five-year NFL vet. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he's got just unbelievable size. He's incredibly athletic. The only thing I thought that would have kept him out of any significant playing time is just the fact that he's got four experienced guys in front of him. And that's not a slide on. That's just reality. In in this Ohio State program, more way more often than not, you're going to be behind guys who have, who have paid their dues. And Chase Young, you know, to his credit, being the fifth guy has earned his way onto the field. And when he's on the field, he flashes out there. And you talked about that, that those two pillars on that defensive line next year. It could be a situation for whoever's the defensive coordinator next year. Just throw Nick Boso on one side, Chase Young on the other side, and, and tell every opposing offense you face, good luck trying to block these guys. And here's the thing. So he's the fifth defensive end. That means basically he's third string. Because there's two guys on yeah. one side and two guys on the other side who are ahead of him. Ohio State doesn't play a ton of third stringers. They don't play a third H-back. They don't play third stringers at receiver. They don't Obviously, they don't rotate on the offensive line. But, but, you know, like if Malik Harrison gets in at linebacker and he has a role sort of as the fourth linebacker, they don't play the seventh linebacker. No. They, don't, they have a ro- rotation at corner. They don't play the fifth corner. They're playing the fifth defensive end. And guess what the fifth defensive end does at least a little bit? For instance, he takes a couple snaps away from Nick Bosa. Yeah. That's how much they like, and I was wrong, because I just looked at the numbers and thought, sorry, bro. Like, I don't care how, I, I literally don't care how good you are. I don't care if you're the best defensive player in America. There is no room for you here. And they have made... Room for him. He was. A t- I know that they blew out Maryland last week, and they played a lot of guys um, in the second half, a lot of backups and stuff. He was a champion. He got graded a champion last week, but he also has played. He plays. I don't know, eight to ten significant snaps a week. Do you think that's about what it is? Yeah, I think. And he was like he played against Indiana. He was in the like that game was not put away until late in the fourth quarter. And Chase Young, I think he was in the game in the first half. I'm almost positive he got on the field in the second yeah. quarter and it probably played 10 snaps that game. That sounds about right. And, it, and it's not like, and it's not because, oh, even rotating four ends through two spots, they just get so exhausted. We have to, you don't have to put the fifth guy in. 
No, he's 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 <laughs> he's, force, he's forcing Larry Johnson. Forcing, hand. forcing. Yeah, I want to say this, and then I, I have a couple other defensive line things before we talk other stuff. I want to make this point though, as we talk about the way Nick Bosa is talking about himself, and I've always found this very interesting, and I think it's a it's a plus for everybody involved in the situation. Um, when Joey Bosa was a freshman and playing in the Orange Bowl in 2013, he, in he's from the Fort Lauderdale area. And I went and had lunch with his dad when we were down there. And I had a long conversation with John Bosa, who is a former first-round draft pick in his own right. Everybody knows the story. Their uncle was Eric Kumro, who was a first-round draft pick. They have defensive end blood on both sides as much as you could have it. And he loved Mike Vrabel. John Bosa did. And, and parents are always very involved. But you're talking about a guy who's a parent and is a former NFL first-round pick at that position. He loved Mike Vrabel. He loved the technique that Mike Vrabel was teaching his son. He completely, he, they, Mike Vrabel was very involved in the recruitment. They completely trusted Mike Vrabel. And then Mike Vrabel left after that season. And they brought in Larry Johnson. And the Boses love Larry Johnson. Joey Bosa loved Larry Johnson. John Bosa loves Larry Johnson. Nick Bosa loves Larry Johnson. Coach J. Everybody calls him Coach J. Mm-hmm. Now, Part of that is everybody loves Larry Johnson. I literally have never met someone who doesn't love Larry Johnson. I did a big story about Tyquan Lewis and Larry Johnson and the special relationship they have. And the hardest part of that story was sort of like everybody you talked to, they were sort of made it sound like, well, I have a special relationship. With him. Why are you just like Sam Hubbard? Why did Tyquan Lewis and Larry Johnson have such a great relationship? And it was sort of like, well, I don't know. Ours is pretty good too. It's like, well, Tracy Sprinkle, Tracy Sprinkle's relationship is great with him. Well, Jalen Holmes, Jalen Holmes loves him. He has a special relationship with him. Well, Nick, but everybody loves him. But I found that to be a very positive thing. Listen, like I think, how can I? The Boses could be the balls. Oh yeah, I remember, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you guys know who the balls are. Yeah, what's the dad's name? Uh, Lonzo's the kid. Lonzo, Lavar, Lavar, and the other kid is is who? Leangelo and Lamelo. Okay, and and, L- and they're taking the one kid out of high school and homeschooling him for two years, right? Yeah, yeah Lamelo, I think, is the one who's being taken out of school. So it is a superbly talented family with a dad who knows the deal, right? And and I'm not like criticizing Lavar Ball. Although if asked, I probably would. But I certainly do understand the idea of having control of your own son's future. Why hand that off to somebody else? I'm doing whatever I need to do to give my son the best situation to succeed. And guess what? You look at what's happening with with Lonzo, it it looks like it's happening. But in the process, that's not necessarily great for everybody else. So the Boses, I think, would have the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. And instead, the Boses love Larry Johnson, who is like the most like real dad, grandfatherly, like just lessons about life. Just as like trying to think of what the word is for the guy. He's just the realest human guy and they love him. And so that's a really good sign. So if Nick Bosa is getting a little bit of like, okay, I won't say all that stuff. To me, that probably means that Larry Johnson had a very calm discussion with him about reminding him, hey, let's keep, you know, t-. 
and Nick Bosa took it to heart, and here we go. And I just wanted to throw that out there because I remember very specifically the long conversation with John Bosa and how much they love Vrabel. And then all of us, me included, wrote a lot of stories about how different Vrabel and Johnson are. Um, But they loved the first guy, and they loved the second guy. And they're totally open to um, the teachings on and off the field. I think they have an extreme trust in, in Larry Johnson to to get them ready for the NFL. Obviously, he's done in the past with his with what he did at Penn State. He did it with Joey Bosa to help him be the number three pick in the draft. And that was a long thing. So let's let's maybe wrap up Nick Bosa with this idea. Joey Bosa was number three pick in the draft. And from the minute Joey Bosa got here, it's like with Venus and Serena Williams. Venus was awesome. And the minute she got on the scene, Richard Williams said, wait till you see her younger sister. And it's like, how could the younger sister be better than the older sister? And it was like, oh, that's how. I'm not saying, and that turned out to be a pretty big gap. Venus is very good. Serena is the greatest female athlete of all time. I'm not suggesting that big of a gap between Joey and Nick. But as we sit here in the middle of his sophomore year... Is it possible that it's going to be true that in the end, Nick Bosa is better than Joey? Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's hard to quantify because Joey exploded in 14. I mean, you saw it in 13. I wasn't covering the team, but everyone knew who he was by the end of that year. Um, but you saw it in 14 when when he existed in a world where Ohio State wasn't rotating everyone. He had, he had 13 and a half sacks that year. Yeah. Um, I don't think Nick, even next year, when we talk about him playing more, possibly, I don't think he's ever going to even have the opportunity to rack up the kind of numbers that Joey put up here. So in terms of standing within Ohio State history, I think it's going to be pretty difficult for Nick to match what Joey was. Joey's name is in the record books, and I don't think it's very possible Nick's won't be. Um, But ceiling, potential, pro potential in particular, um, yeah, I think Nick's got. I think Nick might have a little more to him than Joey does. Joey gets by a lot with um, technique, and if you talk to him about it, he'll tell you how instrumental Larry Johnson was in helping him with his hand skills in particular. And that's like the NFL guys gush about that stuff. Nick has all that, but I also think Nick is probably just a little more naturally athletic and naturally explosive than Joey. Yeah, and. When I look at Nick, obviously, just what he's doing now is significant because we talked about he's generating more attention than the reigning Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. When you do that, that alone says a lot. And again, the idea of he's not going to be a guy that has thirteen and a half sacks. That's just not. That's just not how it's going to. That's just not how it is going to be. The way Ohio State rotates its defensive ends the way they do. But and even next year, we talk about that mythical defensive end unit duo of Young and Bosa. I can't, I can't imagine Bosa's going to have gigantic numbers, but just in the fact that he draws so much attention. He's drawing triple teams already, and he's doing that on a defensive line that we already know that everybody knows is deep and talented and has studs across the board. When you're drawing triple, tre- triple teams against that, that's pretty significant by itself. He said he wants 20 sacks. In his career or next no, like week? No, in a season. Like, okay. if he had it his way, he'd have 20 sacks in a year. I'm going on record now. Double-digit sacks for both Bosa and Young in 2018. I mean, he has four through six games. Yeah. He can get there this year. Yeah, and I, and we've sort of been talking about this just along the way of, like, are they going to have to play him more? Like, how much, you know, like, when it's... It doesn't feel like it's happening. Let me ask... So, the, the, thing, the interesting thing is, well, it was hard because Maryland was half a game. When did he stop playing? 
Third quarter. Okay. Whenever all the, all the ones stop playing. L- let me ask this. Michael Hill is back. Draymond Jones is back. Tracy Sprinkle has been solid. You don't I don't know if Michael Hill's back. Actually, I forgot to tell you guys this, and I have to write it. Greg Schiano said he is. Oh. You guys weren't there. No. And I haven't written the story yet. I kind of dropped the ball on that. We paused this podcast for Doug to write a breaking news story that broke three hours ago. Michael Hill is back. The way Sam Hubbard talked tonight, he sort of talked about Jalen Holmes sort of with Draymond back that frees up Jalen to do different things. If I were Ohio State and I got a little taste of Jalen Holmes inside and that opened up more snaps on the end for the other three, I would not stop cold turkey playing Jalen Holmes inside more than in the Rushman package. Do you guys agree with that? I agree with that. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, the defensive line was plenty good with Holmes in the interior there, and anytime you give Nick Bosa more snaps, it doesn't hurt. And part of the reason that I like didn't run to my computer to write Michael Hill is that I don't think it matters. No offense to Michael Hill, but it's like, okay, well, they're fine. Like, Draymond Jones was hurt, and they were fine. Like, Tracy Sprinkle's been good. Draymond Jones has been really good. Jalen Holmes can play inside now on first and second down also. Like, welcome back, Michael Hill, but whatever. I don't know. Like, does Michael Hill – no offense to anybody. Does Michael Hill being back make them better? Uh, no. It's I a, think it's a non-factor. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of the same. I mean, if he if he takes some snaps away from Tracy Sprinkle, I mean, they're both – I think they're similar players. Yeah. I think you would get similar production there, but I don't think you're making anybody better. That, oh, Tracy Sprinkle now – Gets a break, so Michael Hill. I just think it's whatever. It's another guy. It's another. It's not a bad player, but it's not. A, I don't think it's an impact return. Draymond's an impact return. Yes. He's back. Um, so I would keep Holmes inside a little bit, uh, and I think we might like. Don't you think it's possible that? Because, like, for instance, I could say Bosa. Like Bosa had twenty-two snaps, mm. and that was with Holmes playing a lot inside, right? Yeah, and Hubbard said he played like twenty. I think he said he played twenty. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the in the gotta win games, in the gotta 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 win games, gotta be our best every play. Like, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you again? We was, you ditch the rotation a little bit. Well, that's what it'll be interesting to see. Like, if if Penn State is a close game, and I think we all think it will be, um, if it's a close game in the fourth quarter and Either, it doesn't matter who's winning, but if it's tight and you want your best guys out there, that, that's when you'll know sort of who who's pulling ahead, I guess. I mean, they beat the year they beat Penn State because Joey Bosa tackled somebody with another Penn State player's body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you need that play in that situation, who's the guy on this roster that can make that play for you? You have four really good defensive ends and another really good defensive tackle. Who's the guy on the roster who duplicates that play? The other Bosa. It's Nick Bosa. So if it's like, oh, well, uh, it's not Nick's turn to be in right now. That's what I wonder if it's actually like that. I can't imagine it is because that would just be bad coaching. When he's clear, like, the other guys are good. Nick's clearly the best. I, 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 if I'm an Ohio State fan, I'm like half nervous that there's actually, like, Larry Johnson's like, oh, this guy played the last series. Sorry, Nick. I know Penn State's driving for the game-winning touchdown, but Taekwon didn't play last series, so Taekwon's got to be out there. But is it also possible if you were coaching and trying to keep everybody happy – and they all deserve it. I mean, there's no there's no right answer here because they all deserve to play all the time. But we also are living in the real world. Life in the big city, as Urban Meyer always says, if you were doing it, here's what I would do. Keep an even rotation when it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. And then when the chips are on the table in the game you got to win, 
the heck with the rotation. Everybody will get over it. But in the meantime, you say, well, everyone played the same against Rutgers. Right. And sorry if Nick was on the field a lot against Penn State. Like, we had to win the game. I mean, he played That's the most, what I would do. He played the most against Indiana. I don't. I, I thought I had the numbers in my notebook, but I wrote them down somewhere else. But I did that snap breakdown for the first game, and he was he was the leader by, I think, like a fairly significant margin. And that was a tight game for three quarters. And let me get in. I don't think I gave my Nick and Joey comparison. Here's my Nick and Joey comparison. I always thought, and, and I'll give this with the caveat, that it could be 100% wrong. And feel free to interrupt me in the middle and punch me in the face. I always felt like Joey was like a very sort of like lean, like a lean, like lifeguard kind of athlete, like a guy that um, had good bend, right? Good technique, that kind of thing. Like a really good athlete who's playing defensive end. Like I think similar to Miles Garrett. And like I don't mean this in any negative way because I remember talking to some of the draft guys about Miles Garrett. When it was like, okay, Miles Garrett's got to be the number one pick for the Browns. And I was like, is he better than Joey Bosa? And some of them were like, well, it's pretty close. So it's like if Joey Bosa would have come out in a year where there weren't two quarterbacks there to be taken ahead of him, like Joey Bosa might have been the number one pick. Yeah. If he had come out a year later and the Browns had the number one pick, Joey Bosa might have been picked in the spot Miles Garrett was in. Sorry, Browns fans. I think of Nick Bosa in my head, and maybe it's wrong. But Nick Bosa, to me, is more of a monster. No? I don't know, man. Joey Bosa was pretty unblockable in 2014. And I mean, he, he knocked a guy, he, he he knocked a Penn State guy over with the Penn State guy. Yeah. I, but that, to me, that's I what, what I think saying. of Nick Bosa, like, every play. I get like, what you're saying. Um, again, I watched all 22 snaps he played against Maryland, and that's a small sample size, given how much he's played. He, he did not dominate every snap. Okay. He didn't dominate every snap. And I think guys like that, like I don't even know, like who's the who's the comparison we're talking about? Like, like a J.J. Watt? I don't, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and people were comparing both to J.J. Watt, but I don't think that was a good comparison. That was just a white guy comparison. Yes. But but yeah, monster, I, I'm trying to think who, who are like the every snap monsters. But I guess to me, so I guess I'm saying... I could buy the idea that it's like it was hard to buy 100% like, oh, Nick's better. It's like, what? Because I know even talking to John about it, it was sort of like the idea of, well, Joey was Joey, but Joey had to do everything first. And yeah. just it's like the thing, it's like it's every older brother, little brother story that like every Sports Illustrated profile has ever written, which is Joey, Joey went to Taekwondo when he was nine. And Nick had to go along. So then Nick ended up picking up Taekwondo moves when he's six. So then all of a sudden you have a six-year-old Taekwondo badass. And the nine-year-old wasn't that because he didn't go to Taekwondo with his older brother when he was six. Because nobody went to Taekwondo. And that's a made-up example. I don't know if the Bosa's know Taekwondo or not. (laughs) But that's what I'm talking about. That it was like Nick, I think when people talked about it, Nick's better, whatever that meant. It was more that just Nick was more advanced, like in technique and that kind of thing. Because every time Joey learned something, Nick was three years younger and learning the same thing. So he just got stuff more quickly. I don't know that anybody ever said, like, well, Nick's a better natural athlete. It's just that he's more advanced at a younger age as a football player because of Joey. Um, but now we're seeing it, and it's legit, man. I mean, it's he's it's definitely legit. It's, it's an interesting conversation. I mean, the answer is probably they're both awesome, and what's the point of trying to figure well, out the who's thing about better? it? Like, Joey's so good that, like, what's better? Like, I don't. It's how much 
spaces there between like as good as you can possibly be and how good Joey Bosa is right now. And I think we and you mentioned this. I mean, the thing that you have to give credit for is that Joey Bosa is a world class athlete with unbelievable technique. Yeah. And I mean, I you you look. I just saw something like a Twitter stat the other day that it was like comparing. Von Miller's first whatever number of games and Joey Bosa's first whatever number of games. And, like, the stats were the same, basically. Yeah. It's like, oh, Joey Bosa's as good as the guy who's, like, the best player in football. Like, not just best defensive end. Like, Joey Bosa may end up in a conversation of best overall player, one of the ten best players in the league in any position because he is a supreme athlete who also has every little bit of the ins and outs of, of how to play the position and works at it. Um, and doesn't take anything for granted, and never relied on his athleticism to get by, and and proved it. So I guess you know the thing at the moment is, I mean, Nick has to prove it for another year and a half. I mean, we're a long way from Nick Bosa being draft eligible. So if he slacks off, then he's not going to be Joey. But I think if he, you would assume he's not going to, and if he stays on that path, I don't know. Could Nick Bosa be the first pick in the draft? Yeah, I don't know. I think. What do you think, Tim? Could be the first pick in the draft. Uh, would you draft? If you're the first overall pick, would you draft him? Depends. If, uh, I mean, if you're talking based on pure talent, sure. But I mean, as we all know in the NFL draft, it is a halfway decent quarterback. He's probably going number one. It's almost, yeah, it's like, will he be the first non-quarterback drafted? Right. I, yeah. Sure, right. sure. Yeah. I mean, as we all, I mean, as we all know, just because you're the best player. In, an, in a particular draft, is, never means you're going number one. You know who else is going to be in the same draft as Nick Bosa? Rashawn Gary, Dexter Lawrence. Yeah, that might be... A couple other freaks on the defensive line. It could be one of the best... That's going to be a fun draft. It could be one of the best defensive line drafts that I can remember. Who's doing the Nick Bosa-Rashawn Gary story for Michigan Week? Dibs. Okay. <laughs> Glad we worked that out. All right. Um, we'll get to some questions here, but first we want to talk about the Cleveland Food Bank. Uh we're getting to that time of the year, like the family time of the year. Thanksgiving will be here before we know it. Uh, Christmas will be here before we know it. And uh, it's also starting to get colder. It's getting to be that time of the year when uh, people in need can become even more in need. So the Cleveland Food Bank is a place where if you guys are wanting to reach out to people, that's a place where you can make a difference. Four meals are bought with every dollar that you donate to the Cleveland Food Bank. Think about that. 25 cents a meal, you can feed a hungry person in Northeast Ohio. The Cleveland Food Bank has a great rating from Charity Navigator, the highest rating there, so you can feel confident that your money is being put to good use. It is a direct kind of donation. You give money, hungry people get food. That is a tremendous way to do charity work. There's not a lot of red tape. You're not going through this and that. You are putting food in the mouths of people who need your help. So if you want to do that, if you're starting to get in the giving spirit, it's October, you're starting to feel the vibes, right? Like this is the time you get, you're thinking about you're putting on a sweater, although it's like 90. Also give money to climate change research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's 90 in October, but as soon, here's the deal. Let's make, make this deal with yourself. As soon as you reach for your fall jacket. And one of the reasons that I like fall is because I like jackets that I have that I like to wear in the fall. They're not warm enough to be winter jackets, but like when it's damp, like it's not really cold, but it's damp. I have my fall jackets lined up. I don't wear jackets. You need, you need someone to take care of you. I'm going to get you some jackets (laughs) from Winston box. So here's the deal. Think about, make this deal with yourself. 
When you reach for your fall jacket for the first time and you're putting that on and you're thinking, man, fall jacket, good to see you again. Put on that jacket and say to yourself, it's getting cold enough for me to help somebody who needs it. So put on your jacket and go to clevelandfoodbank.org and make a donation. It is the fall jacket charity time. Fall jacket, food in the mouths of the people who need it. clevelandfoodbank.org. They need you and you can help. All right. Ed Oliver was also in that freshman class. Oh, Ed Oliver. All right. Can, can you? I'm so, Rashawn Gary, Dexter Lawrence, Ed Oliver, and Nick Bosa are all going to be in the same draft. Were you looking at recruiting things right there? Yeah. What's so that's run down the the recruiting rankings of those guys from Rashawn the, Gary was number one in the country. Number one. This is overall player. Overall player. What class is this? Class of two thousand. Class of uh, two thousand sixteen. Okay. Rashawn Gary was number one overall. Dexter Lawrence was number two overall. Ed Oliver was number six overall, and Joey Bo- or sorry, Nick Bosa was number eight overall. And Nick Bosa probably would have been higher if he didn't blow his knee out. And they're all living up to it. Yeah. They're all living up to it. Yeah, I like when that happens in recruiting rankings. Yeah, exactly. You want the top players to be top players, and it's unfortunate when that doesn't happen for whatever reason, whether it's injuries or they just don't hack it for whatever reason, or they just can't stay out of trouble. But, like, I'm glad Rashawn Gary's awesome. Like, you have to be. Like, mm-hmm. that's – it's like, okay, is Jim Harbaugh going to make a difference here? Yeah, he, he's, although Brady Hook was getting guys out of Jersey, too. I mean, that was – Michigan had done a decent job there. I mean, Brady Hook got Jabril Peppers yeah, out of and, New Jersey. And then Jim Harbaugh hired his high school coach. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that's good. That's, again, you know, we're not going to tangent into this, but that's the good for everybody thing. If, if you care about Ohio State, you should want the Big Ten as a whole to recruit good players and for the good players who are recruited to be good. It helps everybody. Um, all right. Do we want to get into what, – what questions do we want to get into first? We want to – we're 36 minutes in. Mm-hmm. I like when we talk about how long we go because then we always get two or three tweets a week from people who say, you blow hard. We love when you talk forever. And I then got- we can be fake humble and be like, oh, man, I don't know if we're going too long. And then like dig out the compliments because I, I told someone this week, someone said, oh, like it sounds like you're fishing for compliments. And I said, man, if you don't throw out the hook, you're never going to get a bite, baby. I got a, a Twitter direct message this week um, from someone named Greg. And he said – this is my first tweet ever. I got a Twitter account for the sole purpose of participating in Buckeye Talk. Every single show, Ari whines about how long the show is. Shut up. <laughs> I've listened to every single minute. My only complaint is Ari stressing about the time. Well, He thinks I'm Ari. He thinks you're Ari? He <laughs> thought I was Ari. Or does he think I'm Ari? No, I think it's me. Or I wonder if he just listened and he didn't realize that there's a third guy here. He knows... He knows Bill. He knows it's Doug. Definitely, it was definitely doesn't know me. me. I asked for clarification. It was me. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what does he think happened to Bill? I don't know. He just he said I said since Ari is no longer on the show and hasn't been since July, I'm I'm assuming you're talking about me. Does that mean? Does and that he mean, said, yeah. Sorry about the name swap. And then he was nice, and I was fine. It's, I thought it was. I don't know why people would get annoyed that we talk about how long the podcast is, but it does happen a lot. Side so, note. By the way, we're at 37 minutes 55 seconds. <laughs> Side note: We joked about this. Uh, I think it was the 100th episode, joking to come up with names for podcasts. If he thinks you're Ari, we have Doug, Ari, Tim. Does that mean we're Dat Podcast? Dat Podcast. D-A-T. We're Dat Podcast. Dat Podcast. Instead of TBD, we're Dat. Dat. That would be a good name. Take Dat for Dat. I listen to Dat Podcast. Um, Okay, I like like stuff that's like inside. 
I like self-referential referential things. That's mm-hmm. like a thing, and a lot of shows do that now. We're like breaking the fourth wall to remind you. You can how do long it too it much. You can do it too much, Bill Simmons. Oh, that's true. You know what? I also listened. I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast today. He talks in his podcast. He talks like this, and then he does his ads like this. Mm-hmm. And you always have to turn out. He's like, now the difference with his podcast and our podcast is they have ads. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to whisper this. This is only for one person. Waffle man. <laughs> Waffle Man, it's gonna happen, I think. Hang in, Waffle Man. Waffle Man, we are coming to you. And when we get to you and we make it happen, I'm gonna eat nothing but waffles for a week. Okay. Seconded. Questions. So, we have a lot. You guys, you keep bringing it. You keep bringing the questions. I kind of just want to, like, bounce all over the place. Is that okay? Sure. Let's. Can we put up a Twitter poll real quick? Yeah. Do you like it when we bounce all over the place? All right, bounce. So it'll be our second Twitter poll of the day. Yes. Okay. First question. We'll start with a football one instead of a food one. Visual Ambassador. Has the secondary truly improved since Oklahoma, or is this a facade? I think Damon Arnett is actually better. I think Damon Arnett is actually better. Yeah. I think Jordan Fuller is a good player, and I think the, their coaches and teammates are talking about that. That Jordan Fuller. Is a very good player now. I think Damon Webb has been solid all year. I think Denzel Ward has been very good all year. Um, and I still think the jury's out a little bit on Kendall Sheffield. But I think we're going to find out a little bit with Tanner Lee, who is a pro-style guy who can throw it for Nebraska. We won't find out a ton. Um, but I think in the first game, I think in the first couple games, like you were even a, not 100% sure about Denzel Ward. Right, I mean, and no corner is going to make plays every single time. Denzel Ward is excellent, and I know Damon Arnett is going to be out for the first half uh, because of a targeting call um, for Nebraska. So that means we're going to see more Kendall Sheffield. We're going to see more Jeffrey Okuda. Um, I've made the comparison. I trust the actual progress of the passing offense because you can pass, and you have to pass. You passing. It's something you have – it's like a proactive thing. You have to do it. So even if the defense isn't very good, you still have to do the right things for it to work. Defense is a reactive thing. So if there's not a lot of proactive stuff coming at you, it's hard to tell how good you are. And I feel like it's – the jury is far more out on the pass defense than the pass offense because the pass offenses the defense has faced since Oklahoma have not been good. However, I feel like I have seen Damon Arnett be better. I feel like he made a couple plays. Yeah. I tweeted that. Damon Arnett made at least two plays against Maryland before he got ejected for targeting that were like, hey, he's in coverage. Here comes a pass. He knocks it away. That looked good to me. And I don't know that I've seen it with Sheffield. I agree with all that. And I think to go way back to the beginning, continuity at safety I think is important now at this point. Whatever happened with Eric Smith, that he's no longer he's back on the back on the depth chart, but he's not listed as a starter. It's Jordan Fuller's job. Um, I think that's a good thing. I think Fuller, in the end, and this is coming from a guy who made the outrageous prediction before the Indiana game that Eric Smith was going to get a pick six and win the job. Um, Fuller is better suited for what they want to do defensively, so I think it's a good thing that he's back there. But what was the game? Eric Smith had a good. Who was the game? Was it against Army? Army when, they, Army yeah, when yeah. he he. Kind of jokingly labeled himself a touchdown saver because he me made a nice tackle on a on a kick return that was almost taken back and then he 
He, I believe he either tipped the pass or he came bit about inches away from having an interception yeah, to the yeah. goal line. The diving, the when diving. a guy looked open on a pass and he yeah. like yeah. ran 30 yards across the field. And, and we, we joke Malik Hooker would, would have made that catch with one, with like yeah. two fingers. Malik Hooker would have caught it like between his knees if, just for fun. And then returned it for a touchdown? Yeah. Yeah, backwards. Um, okay, so this is, uh, do you have anything you want to add on pass defense? Um, not really. I, I do think we're... They're going to get their best test since Baker Mayfield on Saturday yeah. against Tanner Lee. Lee's made some mistakes. He's thrown a couple picks, but he does have a pretty good arm, some solid receivers, and Nebraska's a tough place to play. I will say that. that It's going to be the toughest environment they've gone into this season. I think it's, it's going to be a good last test for the secondary going into the bye week. All right, tangent real quick before we get to the next question, because I do want to talk about Nebraska for two minutes. Um Tanner Lee, I know I talked to him, was there a lot when he talked at Big Ten Media Days. There seemed to be a lot of hope around him. We know Nebraska's season has gotten sideways in a lot of ways. Tim, you do our Big Ten rankings each week. You just talked about it a little bit. Like, do you, is it legit? I mean, this is a team that lost to Northern Illinois. You know, they also put up some points. I mean, they had a big comeback against Oregon um, to make that game close. They, they hung around with Nebraska, with Wisconsin last week. I mean, it was like a seven point game when we were doing the podcast. Mm I don't know exactly what happened. Tim, have you, from what you, I don't know, have read or, or, or your vibe on Nebraska, how real is this? You did. They have a couple guys. They have a couple weapons. It's the best since Baker Mayfield, but beyond that, what does that mean? Like, is it real? Do you think Nebraska is really an opponent, or is Ohio State going to win by 50? I think, like we said, how Maryland was a step up from Rutgers, I think Nebraska is a step up from Maryland. Not just because you're going to, going to Memorial Stadium, which we all know is – a very difficult place to play. Nebraska's got more guys, I think, than Maryland does. And especially, and I think what we overlooked was Max Bordenschlager on the last Saturday, last Saturday played like a third-string quarterback. They're going to go up against a pretty solid starter in Tanner Lee. He's turnover-prone, we've seen that, but he's able to make plays. But the Nebraska game, they, they were tied, I believe, early in the third quarter. They were tied with Wisconsin, and then Wisconsin just rattles off 21 unanswered points to just... Right, just pour that game away, and I may do something for a future Big Ten Power Rankings. Spoiler alert: comparing Jonathan Taylor, Wisconsin, to J.K. Dobbins, and for who's the better freshman running back. But when we talk about Nebraska, you know, it's amazing, kind of, when you look at that team that they have pieces there, but for a program like that with that cloud, they shouldn't be losing at home to Northern Illinois like they did. No, they might need a new coach. Uh, I think you should do that Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins thing sooner than later because at the moment, it's not a – is it a question anymore? I mean, J.K. Dobbins has been good. but J.K. Dobbins hasn't been 29 carries, 181 yards, J.K. Dobbins, since the opener. Jonathan Taylor is, is running over people, isn't he? Yeah, he had almost 10 yards a carry at, at Nebraska on Saturday. I- it's hard because they don't play Wisconsin. They won't play them unless Ohio State gets to the Big Ten Championship game, and then everybody will go nuts. I think it would be worth checking in on Dobbins and Taylor before that because I think we briefly touched on it. Like these are the these are the guys who should be for the next after this year, two more years at least, mm-hmm. the running backs who dominate the Big Ten. And, and again, it's like who's Sa- who's the next Saquon? Those are your two candidates for the best running back in the Big Ten, right? Yeah, or Saquon Barkley's five star backup, Miles Sanders. Yeah, and what else, and what else, I know we've just gone into a Jonathan Taylor tangent here, but uh, love tool time. <laughs> um, but Jonathan Taylor, I I think the advantage for him is, you know, he's the guy in the Wisconsin offense. J.K. Dobbins, you know, he's a pro, he's very good. There's no question about it. But 
His only problem is he's surrounded by other guys who demand the football. And, you know, Ohio State has all these good players. The problem is there's one football. So it's so we all knew it was when Mike Weber got back with Paris Campbell healthy and all these guys on offense that the the options, offense is going to be spread around so you don't key on one guy. You give J.K. Dobbins the ball 25 times like Jonathan Taylor, he could put up some more numbers. Let me create, I know this is a crazy idea. Let me throw it out there. Two footballs. I was going to say that. I I think you could run some quadruple option with two footballs. <laughs> By the way, what the Bears play from the Bears was <laughs> awesome. How bad do you want Ohio State to run that like on Saturday? Yeah, I said someone said. Uh, I hope Kevin Wilson was watching, and I said if Ohio State doesn't run that play, I'm writing a three thousand word column out of Urban Meyer has thrown the season away. I the only and now that what I want is. After the final, so okay, so if you didn't see it, just go look for Chicago Bears two point play. It was with Mitch Trubisky on Monday night? So it was Trubisky is like an inside handoff to a guy, yeah, who then flipped it to like the H back like an end around, but then the end around like turned into like a speed option with the with, quarterback with the with the H back with the ball in his hands, who then tossed it, who then pitched it to Trubisky, who was wide open. Yeah. Now all I want off of that is a throw. Yeah. Quarterback gets it back and then throws to a guy who's forty yards open down the field. God, and who's been, like no team in, in no team in America is more built to run that play than Ohio State. All the things we've talked about, yeah, which is like inside handoff to J.K. Dobbins who flips it to Paris Campbell and then Paris Campbell and J.T. Barrett run the option with Barrett as the pitch man. And then, yeah, God, that better happen. Sign me up. Maybe for they're that. saving it. Oh, uh, we had a we had a question. That was uh, tangentially related to the uh, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins talk we were just having from Doug DeLillo, who brought the heat this week. He's our honorary producer for the show this week. He says, biggest surprise in the last four games that you didn't expect to see after the Oklahoma loss. His is Dobbins taking a step back. Do we think that Dobbins has taken a step back? What was it, 13 for 93 on Saturday? That's, I mean, if you think about it, 13 for 93 is better than 29 for 181. I was going to say, the yards per carry have been better. Yeah. So, but he, uh, the role is certainly diminished. Yeah, it's hard to say a guy is averaging seven plus yards a carry is taking a step back. Like I was saying, there's just so many options that Ohio State wants to get the ball to as many different guys as they can. Again, one football, you only get like 70, 80 plays a game. J.K. Dobbins is just not going to get 29 carries in every single week. And the blowouts haven't helped. I'm going to run through it real quick. Um, In, uh, Indiana, 29 for 181. Oklahoma, 13 for 72. Army, 13 for 172. Four, uh, UNLV, 14 for 95. Rutgers, 6 for 53. Maryland, 13 for 96. Um, so his yards per carry in every game have been greater than they were in the opener. Other than Oklahoma. It was 6.2, 5.5, 13.2, 6.8, 8.8, 7.4. You know what, and I think it's good. I mean, it's like it's easy to get excited. Uh, we did, a lot of people did. You saw this coming with J.K. Dobbins. We didn't see it coming 29-181. Actually, what it has settled back into is more of what maybe we thought. You yeah. know, like yeah. carries in the teens, certainly a big part of the offense, but Mike Weber involved as well. Listen, he's a true freshman. You know, I, I just don't – I mean, honestly, and I say the kind of stuff all the time, but a place like Ohio State, a true freshman, shouldn't have 29 carries a game. At Wisconsin, it almost makes more sense because it's like, listen, 
I mean, Wisconsin's not getting five stars off the street. They're not pulling in. They don't have 24 stars in their classes. If they have a great player, you lean on them. At Ohio State, as Tim has said, there's a million guys. I think probably this is exactly right for J.K. Dobbins. We even mentioned the other week, like, what's up? Is it a little bit of a step back? But honestly, it's just smart. You don't here's, – he's, he's important enough to the offense that you do not want him hitting the freshman wall at week 10. You need him for Michigan. You need him for Michigan State. You need him for the end of the year. You need him for the Big Ten championship game in the playoff. So 20 carries a game, I mean, in a realistic world, and I don't know what we said on the early podcasts. Everybody went J.K. Dobbins crazy, and it was hard not to. But in a realistic world, this is the right way to use him, and he's still making plays. He breaks tackles. I mean, he still has two or three plays a game where he pops it, right? He mm-hmm. gets through a hole and gets 20 yards. That's why his yards per carry is so high. Mike Weber is much more of a – if Mike Weber's – I'm sure someone could bring up the stats to prove this wrong. This is what I feel like it is. If Mike Weber averages – say Mike Weber averages seven yards per carry. I feel like that's more because Mike Weber gets seven yards every carry. If yeah. J.K. Dobbins averages seven yards per carry, I feel like that's more because he goes like two, three, two, twenty-seven. Last year, Weber averaged six. This year, Weber is averaging 4.8. So basically, it sounds like there's an old saying. I forget who it's related to. It's, it's, it, it was a saying, like, if you need four yards, he'll get you five. But if you need seven, he'll get you five. Oh, that is a good saying. That's a good I saying. I forget who that's for. I want to but, say that's Browns related, but. but it's it's it's. A, I mean, but it's a good point, and it's not it's not a it's not a negative about either back. I just think it's a little bit of the difference the, uh, between them. But but J.K. Dobbins still is that threat. He's still that threat to pop, um, and he does. It's not just a threat. He does pop a couple each game, and I think actually probably this is the smart way to use him, even though it would be like exciting. If you got 25, it's not the smart thing to do. Another question from Doug DeLillo that I'm going to let you guys talk about while I look up some numbers. Is JT Barrett a Heisman candidate if he plays as well as he's been playing in Penn State, or they beat Penn State? Tim, you go first on this. Uh, sorry. JT a Heisman candidate? I Is JT a Heisman candidate if he keeps playing this well, meaning he plays this well against Penn State and they beat Penn State? Oh, wow. That's a... A lot of qualifiers there. All right. You're hesitating. No. He wasn't no. ready. No, he's not. He's not going to win the Heisman this year. He didn't have a good game against Oklahoma. You can't erase that. Um, he doesn't have the highlight. He doesn't have highlight plays. He doesn't have – I mean, when you show the stuff, you know, he zipped a couple throws. And this is – I mean, again, this is in no way a negative of JT, but that ship has sailed. Uh, you know, Braxton Miller only finished fifth, the best he ever did. JT was awesome in 2014, finished fifth. So there's going to be somebody else. I mean, it's he's not going to beat – He's not going to beat out Saquon, uh, Baker Mayfield. This guy, Bryce Love from Stanford, is averaging 38 yards per carry. I mean, there's the thing about JT Barrett, it's just this is the real deal. He's not spectacular enough to win the Heisman. I said in the podcast last week that I think he can be a championship quarterback for this team, but he's not a championship quarterback because he's spectacular. He's the opposite of spectacular. He is, when he's at his best, he is solid, 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 make a big throw. And that's not how you win the Heisman. At, at least the only way that he wins the Heisman, the only formula to win the Heisman on that is, and Troy Smith was more spectacular than JT can be in moments, is the Troy Smith formula of you're the quarterback of the number one team and you go undefeated. And that ship has already sailed. They were If they, if they were undefeated 
and you couldn't figure out who Alabama's Heisman candidate is. Like if Minka Fitzpatrick is Alabama's best Heisman candidate and Ohio State's undefeated right now, JT's in the conversation. But that ship sailed, and no matter what they do the rest of the year, I think they have a very good shot to get to the playoff. He does not have a shot to get back in the Heisman race. Yeah, I was leaning more towards no. You kind of reaffirmed kind of what I was thinking, and obviously... Here's the thing. If you hesitate for three seconds on this podcast, I'm going to go on a four-minute rant. Okay, fair. (laughs) Still learning. Um... Yeah, I think obviously JT Barrett, you know, he's been much, there's no question he's much better now than at the start of the season, but I think any Heisman candidacy went away in the Oklahoma game when he just brought almost nothing to the table in that game. He's a different player now, no question about it. Do you know uh, who has more rushing yards and is averaging more yards per carry than Saquon Barkley? Bryce Love? J.K. Dobbins. Really? Yeah. I don't think... Saquon Barkley is the best player in the country. Wait, 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 wait. Has more rushing yards? J.K. Dobbins has 669. Saquon Barkley has 649. J.K. Dobbins averages 7.6 yards per carry. Saquon Barkley averages 6.3. All right. J.K. Dobbins is going to win the Heisman. My point is that there is no Heisman frontrunner. There isn't one. The quarterbacks everyone thought were going to be awesome aren't. Saquon Barkley has not been as good as everyone thought he was going to be because every defense in America, every defense at Penn State plays sends all 11 guys to Saquon Barkley. It's not his fault. Um, there is an opening. It's not going to be Bryce Love because Bryce Love plays on the West Coast. And let's just be real about it. Guys are playing on the West Coast. Unless your team is undefeated. Chris Peterson's going to call you. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's true, though. No I, one, know no Chris, one watches... I know Chris Peterson's not Stanford's coach. That's, he's not? No. Bryce Love is awesome. No one's staying up to midnight to watch Bryce Love play. I think there is an opening for JT Barrett to become a Heisman candidate. He's got 16 touchdowns. He's got one interception. He's averaging 250 passing yards per game. Um, he's got a good enough completion percentage. He has to keep playing this way, and he probably has to run a little more because he's not going to win it. Just, he has to throw for like 4,000 yards and 40 touchdowns if you're just a passer to win the Heisman, I think. And he's not running as much as he has in the past. But the door is open for someone to come be the Heisman frontrunner because I don't think that person exists right now. The only way I think he does it, Ohio State has to blow out Penn State. And I mean blow out. I'm I talking. I just think he has to play like, well. He has to throw six touchdowns against Penn State. Also disagree. Dominate, dominate Michigan and not have a bad game. That's really the only one. Like, he has to steal it. What, what, what was your point that he can win it or that he can get in the conversation? You think the he can win The question was, it? is he a candidate? And you guys both said no. And I think he can be. Bryce Love, by the way, in six games has 1,240 rushing yards. No, I know. He's playing out of his mind. I don't think it matters. Donnell Pumphrey ran for 18,000 yards at San Diego State. No one gave a crap. Yeah, but don't pretend well, that Stanford and San Diego yeah, State San are the same Diego, kind of program. San Diego State's not Who's the guy? Fight. Who's the guy who hey, uh, Toby McGuire San finished Diego, second? San Diego State beat Stanford like two weeks ago, by the way. You and your facts. Listen. You, ever since you got on this beat, you've been looking up facts and throwing them in my face. And I'm sick of it, Landis. Yeah, you never let I'm just saying. Toby McGuire finished second in the Heisman race seven years ago from Stanford. What's his name? Toby Gerhardt. Toby Gerhardt. Is yeah. there a difference? He's Spider-Man now. He yes. was so good at Stanford, he got to be Spider-Man. No, no, he's not Spider-Man anymore. That's, uh... No, yeah. it was Andrew Garfield. It was the co-founder of Facebook who was yeah. Spider-Man for two movies. Spider-Man now literally is 19 years old, right? I mean, should, he's a, a child. Peter, Peter Parker is forever 19 years old, so. But but should the is the act I I can't even look at the act. The actor is <laughs> like in 7th grade. Yeah. 
Yeah. Why do they keep making Spider-Man movies? Are they that good? Because people keep seeing them. It's, it's the reason they keep making Transformers movies. People keep seeing them even though the Transformer movies are terrible. Is Shia LaBeouf still in the Transformer movies or no? No. Is Megan Fox still in Transformer movies? No. Okay, so there was a Transformer ad for one time. It was about it was the it was like one from 2 or 3 years ago where the ad was about like there was something hiding on the moon that nobody knew about. Yeah. And I was like, that looks awesome. What is hiding on the moon? And it was like, oh, it's a transformer. <laughs> and I was like, God, if it literally was anything else, I would watch that movie. Something's hiding on the moon and we can't see it. What is it? A giant toy robot? I'm out. <laughs> what like, would, why yeah. couldn't they take that plot and apply it to something else? Yeah, make it Cloverfield 3. Yes, give it to J.J. Abrams. Don't make a transformer movie out of it. Hiding on the moon? Like, we can't see it. It's on the dark side of the moon and no one's ever seen it. That's a great place to hide. You wasted it on a toy robot. There's a bad movie where there's something really, in that. was a high school question. I will, not, I will not go into it because it's just such a weird, weird, weird movie plot that I don't want to get off too crazy of a tangent. I now, I now have pushed Tim into his bad movie hole. And he will live in this tangent forever. <laughs> okay, if so let's to. pull out before it happens. <laughs> Yes. And try to get... So, you know how yes. many questions we've done so far? Like, <laughs> two and a half. Save us, Bill. Save us. I'm going to... 59 minutes, 23 <laughs> seconds. Um, you guys know the movie, the commercial I'm talking about, too. By the way, Mark Wahlberg has replaced Shia LaBeouf in those movies. Yep. That, that seems like a step down from Mark Wahlberg, doesn't it? Mark Wahlberg yeah. will do anything if there's a paycheck well, involved. Well, to be fair, he was fantastic with Denzel Washington and Two Guns. He was phenomenal in the, huh. that movie. I like him with Will Ferrell when they play off each other like that. When they yeah. like the stepdads and they have like a – he's the, like a tough guy. The other guys was great with him and Will I, Ferrell. I liked him with a funky bunch. Wait, who are, who are the Heisman frontrunners right now besides – It's Barkley and Mayfield still? And Mayfield. Or like people – like it's two-team race. It's Barkley and Mayfield. Well, Mayfield seemed just lost. And Bryce Love is in there. Yeah. Like at the moment, I don't think JT is a candidate. I think if the premise that Doug presented to us – Keeps playing this way, plays well against Penn State, and they beat Penn State. I think he's absolutely a candidate. And then, on the other hand, Saquon Barkley came up for 20 yards. Is Lamar Jackson still in it or not really? No. Louisville stinks. He should have won last year. They vote for the Heisman too early. I like when you I, I like when you get angry. All they right. do, though. Okay, let's get to more questions. Eric Boggs with the, actually the best question we were asked this week. If you were the AD of a university, which Big Ten coach other than Urban Meyer would you hire tomorrow, and why? Can we have qualifiers in this? Are we talking Let's, like we want to be a national championship contender tomorrow, or we, we need just, to get our program You're an there? AD. Well, I mean, I, do, I think the question is, if the question was, for instance, you're hiring a coach for Ohio State, that's a different question than if – I think the question for, like, Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State is different for the other 11 teams in the conference. Yes. But, but... I think the point of his question was basically who's the second best coach in a big time. Um, you're angry about stuff. You go first. Yeah, but I didn't really think about this answer. Sure. I, just yell at us and bury your head in your phone. That's what I do. Well, I yell has got me thinking. I got, I'll go twofold on this one. I'll kind of... I'm going to cop out and pick two guys. If, if, by the way, if someone gives the answer that I'm wondering if someone gives an answer to, I'm going to yell. Go ahead. For, first, I'm going to go Paul Christ of Wisconsin. <laughs> hey, he's so boring. 
But hey, he he picked. You up bored a- by twelve win seasons every year? Yeah. Paul Atlanta. Chris is the vanilla ice cream of humans. Yeah, but they win. They keep all they all he does is win. I mean, until you they pick play up a good from, team. Well, put lose. him put him at a bigger school than put him at a school other than Wisconsin that he don't have the limitations he has. Like Pitt when he wasn't that great. Well, put him at Penn State. Give Ooh. him the, <laughs> give him access to what Penn State has recruiting wise. Like he did a pit. And then here's my other one. And I have, and if you read my Big Ten Power Rankings, you know I am fascinated by this guy. Love Jeff, Smith. Jeff Brom. Okay. That's not a bad idea. I would, love to, see, I would love to see Jeff Brom at a major, like a powerhouse. You get him five-star caliber athletes on a team with that creativity, He might, they might never lose a game with that kind of offense he has. Now, now you've gone too far, but that's okay. I, I think that's a good might. thing. And everyone's, I mean, like, you, you know, whatever. Everybody, all the national guys are, like, giving Jeff Brom every job in the SEC right now. So that's a good mm-hmm. pick. Uh, I don't think Paul Christ travels. Paul Christ is much better at Wisconsin than I expected him to be. I think Paul Chris possibly could only be that successful at Wisconsin because yeah. he is Wisconsin he, through and through, and at Pitt he was average. And he should stay there for 30 years, and I think that – And I think he will. Yeah. Is the guy you don't want to say P.J. Fleck? It is. Yeah. I agree with that. I don't think – yeah, like, and it depends on what you're doing, I guess. I think his shtick does work at Western Michigan, and I think it will work to some extent at Minnesota – I don't think it works if you get any level higher than Minnesota. I, I think that's possibly very true. And I also think that he's going to – they're going to – someone's going to find out. He's not staying at Minnesota. Oh, no, 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 no. But, he'll, he'll leave next year if he's given the chance. Yeah. I would have two guys, but I think I would have a pretty solid number one answer. And it's not it's not unique at all. D'Antonio? But, yeah. Yeah. That's. I mean, he's – I think he might actually be the best coach in the Big Ten, given what he's accomplished with what he has. Urban Meyer is a great um, – CEO of a program, I think he does a great job building culture and doing all that stuff that matters. X's and O's, preparing your team to go win a big game, I might pick D'Antonio. Um, yeah, there's no reason that, I mean, he get, he doesn't get the guys Ohio State and Michigan gets, but who frustrates those two more than anybody? It's Mark D'Antonio. Yeah. I mean, and the hard thing is, is with all of this, is when you are a coach, you are also the GM. Recruiting is half the job. Urban is great. At recruiting. Arguably the best. And if Urban went somewhere else, like if Urban went to Michigan State or Minnesota or Nebraska or wherever else, you know what he would do? Recruit like crazy. Get better players than he would. He would triple the recruiting rankings of those schools. Um, So I would definitely go D'Antonio. I've always said it. I feel like D'Antonio is Trestle with an edge. He's Trestle Trestle with a chip on his shoulder and a gunslinger mentality who's going to run a fake punt on fourth down. And we'll, if you, I feel like if, 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 if you challenge Trestle, he would, he would say sort of like, okay. And then like, go prove it on the field. If you challenged Antonio, I feel like he will like, it will stiffen his resolve and he'll, he'll like confront you more in a way and then go out and show it on the field. I think he's tremendous. I know it seemed like a couple years ago it was like, you know, when the Texas job was open, I think even before Charlie Strong, it was like, oh, D'Antonio. And initially I was like, what? It's like, you know what? I mean, he he gets great stuff out of three stars. He'd get great stuff out of four and five stars too. And if he went to a place with huge tradition where he was at Texas and like all the best kids at Texas just said, okay, I'm going to go there. And then he'd get, he'd get the best out of them. The other guy I'd say, and again, not unique, is Pat Fitzgerald. I think he's a great coach. Yeah, coach. And I think – People forget how bad Northwestern was and probably should be. It does not make sense for Northwestern to be good. Northwestern should be 
what Illinois is right now. Northwestern should be Rutgers. And instead, people complain that, like, oh, Northwestern was like a dark horse in the West. And, like, oh, they're not as, that, as good as that. And it's like, yeah, it's ludicrous for anyone, for Northwestern to even be in the conversation of winning a division in the Big Ten is absolute insanity. And that's where he has that program in that discussion so that then they can fall short of that and people can criticize him. Northwestern should be expected to go 2-10 and 10 every year. And if they go 4-8, and eight, they should be throwing the goalposts in the lake. And instead, they are a middle to upper middle of the pack Big Ten team. And that is practically a miracle. We'll get to Ohio, back to Ohio State questions and we'll get to some food questions. But we had to get this one in from David McMahon. It was a very similar one to when we just answered. So we just played Rutgers in Maryland. If you could replace them with two new schools, who would it be? Why? Or would you keep them? I might keep Maryland. I agree. Cause I, I think Maryland can become good. Like not, I don't know if they can ever be a Big Ten East contender, per se. But I think they could get up into that third slot and like occasionally actually challenge for the East. Because their recruiting base is so good. Like Rutgers is a good recruiting base, but it's just New Jersey. And New Jersey doesn't have, you know... 30 awesome players every year that even if some teams came and skimmed the top and took the top 15, you'd still have 15 left to form a a very respectable program. I think the DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia area has that much talent that even if the best programs come in there and take them, you can still be good. And Maryland, for whatever reason, has instilled more of a sense, I think, of pride in the region to go play there than Rutgers has in New Jersey. So I think Rutgers could be good. I would replace Rutgers with Pitt. That actually is... I actually was struggling to kind of think of a replacement. That might not be a bad one. Either Pitt or West Virginia would kind of be in that discussion for me as far as a replacement for Rutgers. Maryland can get there. I, I said it Saturday. I said it before the Maryland game. They have guys, and I think that's a program where, you know, if their quarterbacks didn't get hurt, that game would have could have been completely different. Yeah. That game would have been a lot closer than the final score indicated. I think they're they seem like they're a year away. And when I say a year away, I mean a year away from giving Ohio State reason to be concerned. Not not the challenge for the Big Ten, but to you know make Ohio State worry a little bit. For all we know, Maryland. Mm. If oh, that would not have been as crazy, it still would have been really crazy, but not as crazy as yeah, for all we know, Rutgers. I mean, they. I mean, like I'm not wrong. They got guys that will be there for a while. I mean, their quarterbacks will get healthy next season. Their recruiting class for last year and this year is really good. This incoming year is really good. You know, given how Maryland has not exactly been a recruiting powerhouse up until the last year or two, you give them time, they'll get up to they'll get up to a level where they'll never. I don't think they'll ever contend for a Big Ten title, but they'll be a pest for a long time. Maryland's 2018 recruiting class is 18th in the country and fourth in the Big Ten. Its 2017 recruiting class was 18th in the country and fourth in the Big Ten. Okay. You guys are thinking you're stuck on the East in the team you replaced them with. I just want Penn State fans to go crazy when Vic is, is in the conference. Yeah, the answer's not in the East. And I don't think the answer was ever in the East. I think the team that they missed on is Missouri. I think Missouri should be in the Big Ten. Missouri should not be in the SEC. Missouri opens up a lot of stuff. It's natural. If you just look at a map, like, and I like yeah. if you look at a map, Missouri should be in the SEC. I, like, I would rather go that way. I think Jim Delaney, I, I mean, I get it. Like, the East Coast has big cities. This is not an East Coast league. Penn State is as far east as this league should go, honestly, I think. And it's like, oh, I wish we would have. It's like, well, what? Do you wish Do you wish the Big Ten was in the South? I mean, you, ha- you have to live where you are. So I think it was a desperate grab for population centers, and I get that. 
But I would rather have, have gone away where you're grabbing Missouri and Kansas and Oklahoma and Texas, and you're going that way. I think there's a lot more natural stuff there. The West is dying, and in, and what you did is you is you went east, so that if the east is you're in the east, you're either making the east even better, which already was the best, or you're thinning the east and screwing up. Like now you're making Penn State and Ohio State um, and Michigan play Rutgers every year. And it was stupid. I think Missouri would make a lot of sense. Um, I think Texas, and actually, actually, no, there's actually, there's only one answer here. I can't believe nobody said it. Who's the number one team that should be in the Big Ten that's not in the Big Ten? Notre Dame. Notre stinking Dame should be in the Big Ten. I mean, it's like, who? Who would I replace Rutgers with? How about the giant national powerhouse in Indiana? So, um... They would just never do it. I think that's why I didn't say it. But I mean, but but I think you could have forced them in a, a way to do it. Like if you said, we'll never, I mean, do you think it's going to make sense that they're going to say, like, is this ACC thing in the end the best thing for Notre Dame? No. no I mean, I don't think it makes any sense. you need to be in a conference one way or another. If every conference would have played hardball with them and said, you're either in or you're out, none of this pussyfooting around. Yeah. I think at some point they would have had to be in a conference and the most logical conference to be in is the Big Ten. They would be better for it. The Big Ten would be better for it. Here's another point that I just thought of that I don't think has been made. Maybe it has been made. I'm not afraid to duplicate points. Maryland came from a real conference. Maryland came from the ACC. Rutgers came from a conference that is no longer a Power 5 conference. Maryland just changed like where they get the checks from. Rutgers made a step up. Yeah. And they can't. You were betting on them making a step up. Maryland's doing it. They just switched. You asked Rutgers... Rutgers, the biggest game in the history of Rutgers football is that Rutgers-Louisville game. Are you kidding? I mean, no offense to that. That that's a team that should be in a league playing Connecticut and Boston College and an Eastern brand of football, which is a step below Power 5. Rutgers is, makes more sense playing Delaware and UMass than it does playing Ohio State, Michigan, and Nebraska. And so it's – why did someone ask us this? It's not a new rant. It's just stupid. The Big Ten should have Missouri and Notre Dame, and Maryland should still be in the ACC, and Rutgers should be in some Eastern Conference where they can compete for championships and not be trying to judge themselves against Ohio State and Penn State. And I just think I think Penn State made a lot of sense, but that was as far east as it should have gone. And you can't you can't change where you are, man. I mean, I wish I was four inches taller and forty pounds lighter. Mm-hmm. One of those things I could change, one I can't. But you got to accept who you are. And the, and the Big Ten, here's the thing. Like, the Big Ten's in pretty good shape right now. Is the Big Ten in good shape because it added Maryland and Rutgers? No. It's o- in, only in the sense that its top programs are better because they recruit New Jersey and Maryland. But they're in good shape. The reason they're in good shape is based on because of who they are and always have been. Yeah. And they're lucky that thinning the brand by making some bad expansion choices hasn't hurt them. But the Big Ten network... And the success on and off the field of the high-profile programs, they don't have great TV contracts with Fox. Fox didn't come throw money at the Big Ten because of Rutgers. No. No. Should be Missouri and Notre Dame. Okay. Let's try to go... Let's try to talk Ohio State football? No, yes. we're not talking any food yet. We're gonna... Two more Ohio State football questions. Okay, we're an hour 13.27. We still haven't gotten to food. Now it's one thirteen twenty nine. Um, this question from Greg Miller at OSU Farm Boy was directed to me. He says, since Bill covers the O-line, which is true, who does he have winning the three-way race for starting right guard against Nebraska, and will it change for the Penn State game? That's a great question. 
I think Matt Burrell will start on Saturday against Nebraska. He and Demetrius Knox are listed as co-starters. I don't really know why. I don't know what Demetrius Knox has done to earn co-starter designation. Um, but he is. I don't think that means anything. I think it's Burrell's job going into next week. But then I think the more interesting question is, will it change for Penn State? And we talked about this after interviews on Tuesday. And I think we're all in agreement that it could change. Um, I think Matt Burrell could play a poor game and have it really not matter for Penn State against Nebraska. But you don't want those kind of question marks going into Penn State. So there will be hard evaluation of whoever plays in this Nebraska game, and then you'll have two weeks to figure it out. Um, and I'm not completely sold on anyone who's involved in this competition. Um, but I probably would not predict that it would be different. I don't know. Would you guys – someone said predict it. Well, the guy who starts a right guard against Nebraska also start against Penn State. Would you say yes or no? I mean, it depends on how he plays. I mean, I think it's very possible that Matt Burrell is fine. The one thing is, is he's a natural guard, like Brandon Bowen, as we talked about, wasn't a natural yes. guard. So I think it's good to have a natural guard playing guard, and he has to play well. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't, I don't know what he's going to do. But I, I think they would be open to something different if he doesn't play well. The Brady Taylor thing is we talked about on the post game podcast of Maryland is interesting. I don't think it's a change you'd want to make with one week, but it is a change you would consider making with two weeks. Was he asked about? Was Urban asked about that Tuesday? No, it was my fault. I didn't ask. I'm going to ask him Wednesday. Yeah. I asked them Would about you the, move really Price to guard to solve this? I asked them about the guard position in general, but then I always get scared to ask a third question on the Big Ten teleconference because usually you just ask two. You're polite. I'm polite, yeah. You're a very polite young man, even though you're from Philly. That's true. Okay. Is there another O-line question in there that was really good about uh, O-line development? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And recruiting? There was. It was from... Ryan Sullivan, O-line depth failure equals misses in recruiting or misses in development? I think there have been major development issues for a couple years. Yeah, and someone I, – I wrote a thing about the offensive line after the Maryland game, and then someone said like uh, – someone said like it's Greg Stoudraw's fault. And I was like, well, he didn't bring these players here. But then like I, I don't – like ultimately, like, is it on both of them? Is it on him and Warner? Like all the players that they've recruited – that are in the program – that Urban Meyer is upset about from a development standpoint, we're all players that Ed Warner recruited. Like, I don't think he's – but the exception of Malcolm Pridgen, who was a stud guy, I don't think he's upset about Wyatt Davis or Josh Myers or Michael Jordan. I think he's upset about Matt Burrell and Demetrius Knox. And and there's a lot of guys in that, that one-year class, like Kevin Feeder, who's Kevin been Feeder, hurt, and Gavin Grant Kopp, Schmidt Grant, transferred, yeah, and Trout transferred, and there, there were a lot of whiffs. They, I think they took nine offensive linemen in two years. Yeah. And there were a lot of misses in there. Um, I think Ed Warner is a good offensive line coach, and he recruited guys that he knew he could coach up, and then he left. I think the hard thing about all this, I think, it's not I think, Ed Warner did a very good job coaching the offensive line. He made Corey Lindsley and Jack Muhort and Andrew Norwell and all those guys that he inherited in 2012 and 2013, really good linemen. They had, a, I think, a decent ways to come, and they came a long way, and I think all those guys respect him. I think Taylor Decker is a great example of the best of Ed Warner to mm-hmm. get him here. He was – they got him – they flipped him from Notre Dame. Flip, right? Straight flip. Yeah. That Ed recruited him at Notre Dame, came to Ohio State, got him to Ohio State, and then helped turn Taylor Decker into the 16th pick in the NFL draft. That is a great credit – to Ed Warner, of course it's a great credit to Taylor Decker, but Taylor Decker always stood very strongly behind Ed Warner. When you made Ed Warner, this is why the, the Tom Herman departure really hurt. 
You made Ed Warner the offensive coordinator. He wasn't good, as good at that as Tom Herman was. And then he was a less effective offensive line coach. And then in 2016, you took him off the offensive line. And I'm not an expert on this. I don't think Greg Stadrawa is as good of an offensive line coach as Ed Warner. And I think he's I'm a better ju- recruiter, though. I'm judging that on production on the field. So maybe so that's where you get caught in between. You get a guy who's a good coach who didn't recruit the most elite guys because he was going to coach him up. Then he left, and now you have a coach who's not coaching him up, and you're stuck. But Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis might solve a lot of problems, and Thayer Munford seems like a big hit too as a recruit who's yeah. producing already. And then Matthew Jones and Max Ray coming in this class and possibly Jackson Carmen. Um, the recruiting is better, the development is worse, which is like back to the beginning, I guess. So there's another Ohio State question I want to ask, but I'm afraid it's going to set Doug off on like a 10-minute rant. I'll, I'll limit my rant to 30 seconds, I promise. Okay. The question is from Alex Schraps. He says, why can't Buckeye fans see the difference between offensive progress this year versus the disjointed offense last year? They're not winning games with, defensive, with the defense scoring two touchdowns and running the ball 50 times a game this year. They were scarred by the Clemson loss. They were fooled by the two 62-3 wins against Nebraska and Maryland last year. They tried to believe. They were fed lines that everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. It wasn't fine. They are scarred. They were scarred again because we all wrote and they all talked about the progress of the offseason against Oklahoma. You didn't see it. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on somebody else. And so they're burned. (laughs) It's longer than 30 seconds. What's the fool me thing? That's the thing George W. Bush got wrong, and I got it wrong worse than he did. Fool me can't get fooled again. So listen, you got burned twice trying to believe in the passing game. I get that, right? And that's it. You're not going to get fooled again. You thought, oh, they're going to get it fixed for Clemson. They didn't. Oh, they got it fixed for Oklahoma. They didn't. So you don't believe it. I get that. But you're wrong. It's fixed. It's much, much better, and it's much, much different. And we've written and talked about it a million times. And you're not going to, if you don't believe us now, you're not going to believe it. You're going to find out against Penn State one way or the other. Maybe it all turns out that it wasn't fixed. And this will be the third time they fail in a big game. But I get it because you have been burned twice if you did believe. They're doing different things. Like the mesh passing concepts. I'm going to have a thing on Friday about using the tight end as a fullback. And like as the lead blocker on some of these runs. By the way, I'm going to write this. Because I asked Urban Meyer about it on Tuesday. I said, like, why did you put this in, and were you happy with it? And he said, he didn't really know why they put it in. But he said, like, it's just, like, more of a, more evolution of the offense, and now the next step is building off of that. Marcus Ball or Rashad Berry is going to score a touchdown off one of these plays where they run into the hole, act like they're going to block, and squeak out the other end, and JT's going to throw it over the top of them, just like Baker Mayfield did 45 times against them three weeks ago. That's going to happen. Good Lord, could we talk about food already? There are people who listen to us for food talk who are very discouraged by an hour and 20 minutes of football talk. Okay, here comes food. How long are we going? I don't know. We'll see see where the food takes us. Boy, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. James Octavius. How do you like your steak cooked? Preferred drink of choice to accompany that steak. I'm going to get out of the way and let you guys talk. I'm not a steak guy because I know like Ari used to have very – Passionate takes on your view towards steaks. Yes. I am not a steak guy. I like my steak cooked medium well or medium. I've never had a good steak in my life. I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And I know it's blasphemous. I've just like never been to a nice steakhouse. And preferred drink of choice, I don't care. <laughs> I, like, I like. This is a bad topic for whiskey. us. <laughs> I don't know. 
Tim, uh, do you like steak? Yeah, steak's good. Are you a steak connoisseur? Um, Best steak you ever had? Uh, I don't know. Hyde Park has great steaks. You've been to Hyde Park? Yeah. Okay, you can there. talk about it. It's though. usually like a Christmas Eve tradition for my family and I. We just go down there. To just... Good Lord. My family on Christmas Eve goes to Walgreens. Well, they <laughs> <laughs> uh, got disrupted there. All right. Um, Tim Bielek, Moneybags Tim Bielek, talk about the steak you eat on Christmas Eve. Well, they, I, I'm a guy like I, I steak medium to medium well, you know, that's got to have some good flavoring in there. Um, Texas Day Brazil also has great steaks, and those are the ones they cut off the sores for you, you get a little Brazilian snippet style. of that. Yeah, it's, you eat that stuff. I never had that either. Steak yeah, if you cut it off a sword, I'll eat anything. Doesn't like your eight pound daughter eat 16 pounds of steak when you go out for a birthday or something like that? Yeah, my, <laughs> like my third grader's like, what do you want for your birthday meal? It's like, can we eat steak off of a sword? <laughs> so you, so when, do you get a drink? Do you have like a fine glass of wine or something with your steak? No, I just usually get like a Coke Zero or something like that or Diet Coke. I'm not like a wine connoisseur or anything like that. If you were wondering like where our food expertise stops, this is this it. Is it. This, is, this it is. is above our pay grade. Yeah. This is like like Bo Bishop, yeah. our good buddy who's on 92.3 The Fan on Saturdays now and used to work in Columbus. He's the kind of guy who could probably give you a 45-minute talk on the cut of steak and the bourbon you should pair with it. I get a steak cooked until it's like a piece of leather, well done, and I drink 11 Diet Cokes with it. So I don't know what to tell you, man. Too refined for us. Here's something that's less refined. Less refined from Alan Kitchen. What's your favorite recovery food combination after a night out? Personally for him, it's McDonald's 10-piece nugget meal, large Coke with a side McDouble. Alan Kitchen, that is my exact recovery meal. (laughs) Say it again. 10-piece nug, large Coke. Side McDouble. I feel like this would be a good question. I, I I dropped the ball a little bit today. I still want to keep asking the players about their favorite like fast food thing. Ask the players for their recovery meal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you get hammered. What do you have to drink when you're done? Or eat when you're done? I think I may have talked about this on the podcast before. Like I literally don't get hammered. Yeah. Yeah. I am a non-drinker. I behave as if I'm hammered, but <laughs> I don't have a recovery process. So like my – I. I've been, I can't, I mean, I've probably been drunk in my, I'm 44 years old. I've probably been drunk 25 times maybe. Mm-hmm. And we've had this conversation before. I don't think I've been hung over more than like twice in my whole life. So I don't know. I don't know. Can you think back to those times? Probably just cry. Cry mm-hmm. and have an aspirin and a there glass of water. There you go. Is that normal? Yeah. Do I people agree. cry when they're hung over? Some people do. Yeah. Tim, what's your drinking? What are your drinking habits? Um, I don't really drink much alcohol. I'll be honest with you. If I just need something to drink, usually it's usually just go with like Diet Coke. Yeah, we're not saying like or I'm thirsty every time you're thirsty. Well, I no, beer. I mean I don't drink. I don't. I mean I don't drink a lot of alcohol. That's just kind When's of. When's the last time you were hammered? Uh, college or since college? Since college, but it was shortly after college. It's been a while. Since what year did you graduate? 2011. So, I will say my I I. Had I imbibed as much as the next person in college? Um, I also graduated in 2011. I may since 2011. I've probably been drunk like like you 20, 30 times since then, which is like a drastic change from how I operated in college because I operated just like every other normal college student in college. Yeah, but then I got too tired to go out and have fun. <laughs> Isn't that, that's lovely when you reach that point in life? Yeah. But let me say, I will say this: We are going to Nebraska this weekend. That's true. Whoop whoop. There was another. There was another Nebraska themed steak question. We're not going to be able to experience a steak in Nebraska because we don't know what we're talking about. 
Um, you guys think hot dogs are underrated? I don't need hot dogs either. Doug doesn't like hot dogs. Tim, you like hot dogs? Yeah, hot dogs are good. I got. I think hot dogs are vastly underrated. As if you were to ask me if they were a sandwich, I can't answer that. No, question. no, 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 no. I'm not no, going to no, answer no, that no, question. No, nope, no. Delete, nope. delete. Nope. Beep, beep, beep. Go back. Okay, but hot dogs are good. I will say hot dogs are very good. I, I am not a fan of the pink meats. Moving on. <laughs> Doug DeLillo, another good question. Uh, thoughts on pizza that isn't traditional, like barbecue chicken pizza, breakfast pizza. You guys forward or I love a buffalo chicken pizza. I prefer buffalo chicken pizza not have red sauce. I like when the, the base is like basically ranch dressing or blue cheese, and then you pile shredded cheese and buffalo chicken on top of that, maybe some celery. Um, but I consider myself a buffalo chicken connoisseur. Buffalo chicken pizza connoisseur. I like there's like a Thai like a Thai chicken pizza at California Pizza Kitchen. I like I, I like the occasional California Pizza Kitchen, but like I would not say like oh that's like to me that's not getting pizza. Like yeah. I almost wish there was a designation, you know, that's different. That it's I get it, it's the crust, but it almost it it rubs me the wrong way to call something that like doesn't have red sauce and mozzarella cheese like pizza. It's like I get it, it's got crust, but it's not the same thing. You like breakfast pizza? I kind of don't. Um, no, not really. You know what I first discovered? I like the idea of it, though. I first discovered breakfast pizza, and you'll enjoy this, Doug. It was 1997, and I was at Disney World having breakfast with Mickey. And she said, would you like pizza? And I said, no, it's breakfast. And she said, no, it's breakfast pizza. I said, what's that? And she showed it to me, and it had eggs and sausage and cheese on it. And I was a changed man. As if the Disney World experience is not already life-changing, just to be in the presence of a life-size mouse. <laughs> but to eat your first breakfast pizza with Mickey, did you get a photo to commemorate that? I would no, like. A, I got Goofy's autograph, though. I would like you to uh, bring in. You've, you've got to have some family photos from that trip. I want to see the family photos of 1997 Bill Landis in Disney World. I can make that happen. Uh, this might be the last food question. By the way, uh, one hour, 27, or, yeah, 27 minutes. Mm-hmm. From, again, I can't say the guy's name. Just say it. Cynical Negro is his name. (laughs) It's his name. I said it. It's whatever. It's a good question. He asks good questions. That's his Twitter name. He had a good football question and a good food question. So we're going to get his football first. Is it good that they keep coordinators for two years? Seems hard to build continuity that way. If your coordinators are good, it's good to keep them for two years. Ohio State, and I wrote stories about it covering trestle they had like the most continuity of any staff in the country and it's like well it's because nobody else wanted to hire jim bullman you know like it's you know it's one of those things like you know d'antonio left trestle and went on to do great things but a lot of his guys didn't leave and so i i don't think it can be a negative when you have such good assistants that they get better jobs so like hey we had tim beck and ed warner as our two-headed offensive coordinator for two years and then we basically got rid of both of them that's not a good way of getting rid of coordinators after two years tom herman being here for three years and leaving to be a head coach that's good greg shiano is going to leave after this season he will have had a very good two years here yeah so you know kevin wilson probably should not be here more than two or three years if Kevin Wilson's here for more than two or three years, it means the offense isn't that good. Or it means no one wants to hire him because of the allegations. Oh, yeah, that's a good strategy. Yeah. Hire a good offensive coach who uh, allegedly uh, treated, mistreats mistreated his, his players, players. Yeah. so he won't ever get a head job again, and this is the best coordinator spot he could get. Yeah, Is that a brilliant move or what? That is brilliant. Yeah, Very calculated. I, I'm not worried about it. 
because um, it's just a reality. Urban and I wrote, you know, I wrote a lot of stories about it. He had trouble. He admits it. He had trouble at, at Florida losing assistants and replacing them with the wrong guy. It's one of those things. It's like with anything. People move on. Nobody is irreplaceable if you replace them with the right guy. Yeah, exactly. I'd much rather have a riser and a guy who is going to be a head coach than a guy who's a career coordinator. What's the worst food chain? We'll end on this question. I have an answer. Taco Bell. It's disgusting. Taco Bell's only good. I also think KFC is gross. I'll say KFC is the worst. Well, I will say Taco Bell is only good after midnight. There if, have been times because, when... Because you're drunk? Well, no, there have been we times... We ate Taco Bell after the Wisconsin overtime game. There are times when Taco Bell is You needed. ate Taco Bell. There are... Because you ordered... You said, can I have a double Dia? And she said, the double Dilla? <laughs> <laughs> there are times when Taco Bell is acceptable. And I think after midnight, when any of us in sports, I'm sure anybody that works in sports... Most people that work in sports sports media, I should say, can attest to this. After midnight, it is acceptable to have a fourth meal at Taco Bell. It's perfectly acceptable, I think. By the way, fourth meal does not exist. Taco Bell invented it. I know. It's a, it's it's like a it's it's part of the fast food industrial complex. Don't buy into their idea that there's a fourth meal, Tim. You know how powerful I, I think it's brilliant. You know how powerful fourth meal was? When I was in college, the one dining hall on campus, there was like five of them, one opened specifically for fourth meal. <laughs> it was like a buffet from, I think it was from like 10.30 to like 1 o'clock in the morning. That's brilliant. It was great. I, I think <laughs> fourth meal is... You were against it and you ate it. Yeah. Fourth meal is brilliant because th- we've all had that moment in our life when we've been sober past <laughs> midnight. And we're thinking, man, I'm still hungry, but nothing's open. Then all of a sudden you see Taco Bell off in the distance, and everything is great. I was in Drumline High School. The one, I wait, want, wait, I'm wait, a lot wait, about wait. You. you were in what, in Drumline? Yeah, I was a Drumline in high school. And you I were a drummer? Yeah, in high school. Did you play the three things? The digga, 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 digga. The quads? Oh, yeah, I did that one year. I want to hear you play those. Okay, continue. Do you have strong digga, opinions digga, digga, about digga, the digga, movie digga. Drumline starring Nick The Cannon. movie is not. It, I was in a different kind of band than the movie Drumline. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I have no disrespect to the to the people who perform in bands like in Drumline because they are they sound fantastic. It was just, it was just a different style because they're better than you. Because they play good music <laughs> and you played like uh, I don't know, okay. Beethoven. Second so no after comment, you do but, your digga 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 digga, you go to Taco Bell. Yeah, because our percussion instructor once said, uh, "Crap, I forgot what he said." Wow, that's hey, a really. He always Taco said, "Don't worry, Taco Bell is always open till two a.m." All right, I got some things to say here. Yes, because I'm not going to let this stand. Well, you two just slipped into this podcast like nobody was going to notice. An outright attack on KFC? Are you kidding me? Fast food bones. Are, are not you me, man. kidding me? First of all, fried chicken with like the bones in and stuff. If you want it in that way, that's the way. That's the place you got to go, right? Popeyes. <laughs> it's Louisiana fast. Talk to Gin. By the way, Ginn. we didn't get to Gin's question on purpose. There are there. Their strips are good. You get their three box, like a box with three strips. Their biscuits are excellent. I already put the wedges in my Winston box of fast food. Mm-hmm. I don't do like a lot of the other sides. There are it's a variety of side options that you don't get elsewhere. Their 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 strips are not as good as Cane's. 
But they are a nice piece of white meat with some nice crunchy breading on them. And to dismiss them out of hand the way you did was disrespectful. They invented fast food chicken. Without KFC, you wouldn't have Chick-fil-A. You wouldn't have Cane's. They let people know. They opened the world to fast food chicken. And for you to dismiss them out of hand is an insult to everything they stand for. Actually, I will apologize to KFC because this name flipped my mind. But I will change my answer to Burger King. All right, we'll see Burger King, then. because Burger King... I think they microwave their hamburger. I don't think Burger King does one thing well better than anybody. Everything Burger King has... They have onion rings. Okay, one thing. But one thing out of a thousand does not make them any good. Everything they do, somebody has something better. Burger King Everybody, someone, something else has something better for everything on the Burger King menu. They have chicken fries. You know what I like about Burger Had, King? Did they still have them? Yeah, they still have them. I don't think their onion rings actually have any onion in no, them. No, it's just it's onion-flavored uh, batter. Breading, which is because when you eat a real onion ring and you bite in and you get that long string of onion, and it's like, what is this onion doing in my onion ring? And they always mix they, it in with They the take fries. that out. Yeah. They always mix them in with the French fries. who wants an onion with her onion ring? Yeah, I don't, no. I'm not trying to eat a vegetable. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say I, I misunderstood how underappreciated I think KFC is. Just because I don't have it much anymore, I didn't think about the impact it is. You have you have kind of swayed me in, and that's kind of why I apologize to KFC right now. I apologize to the 30 actors who have played the Colonel in the last month on television commercials. Hot take for me, bad, White Castle. Oh, White Castle's bad. Yeah. Well, yes. People love White Castle, right? But, I think it's great. But is it not that people love White Castle because it's terrible? It's like a I just think it's thing. not even like I think they're like I, I've never been in the clean White Castle, and uh, not that like you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a palace when I walk in there. I know what I'm walking into, but uh, I thought yeah, I think White Castle is disgusting. I would just before we go, I would like to remind you of the power of Buckeye talk, and you have had this experience. You bring in the hot when you get yeah. hot, Landis. <laughs> you get hot. You're not like, well, you know, I don't really like that. You say trash, whatever. Like you just, you're bringing some hot, hot, hot takes here, and you have to be ready to stand behind them when the CEO of White Castle emails you in two days. The CEO of White Castle is partly responsible for all the construction that's happening in downtown Columbus right now. So bring it on, man. Okay, as long as you're willing to stand behind it. Again, do you have a you have a feeling that a feel now for the power of Buckeye talk though? Right? Yeah, I I, uh, I insulted Donatos, and I. I felt bad for it. I don't feel so bad for it now. But also, I am going to email back the guy. If if you're if the guy who emailed us is listening, um, we apologize. We're not ignoring you. I don't mean to ignore you at all. It's just crazy football season, and I have emails stacked up of people that I need to email back. And you are on our list, Mr. Donato. We respect you reaching out to us. We are open-minded we that. to your uh, 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 thing. <laughs> And so we will get back to you, and we would love to participate uh, in something. But you, we just all need to be clear that Bill Landis's hot takes come straight from the heart, come straight from the beating heart of a Philadelphia man, mm-hmm. and you cannot change that. It's not that you can't change his mind, but you cannot change the truth. You cannot ask Bill Landis <laughs> to abandon his truth. That is not what he's all about. Do you know what? After the game on Saturday, uh, Jerry Emig, the sports information director for Ohio State football, presented us each with a slice of the nattos. I ate it. wasn't bad. It was like it was sausage and pepperoni, and we were standing on the block O at midfield and starving, and we yeah. scarfed it down in three bites, and we're like, that's pretty good pizza, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, so that'll do it for Buckeye Talk. <laughs>
For Bill Landis and Tim Bielek, I'm Doug Maurice. Follow us on Twitter, at BillLandis25, at Tim Bielek, at Doug Maurice. Read our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. Subscribe to this podcast where all fine uh, podcasts are found, iTunes, Stitcher, a bunch of other places. Bill, can you give a 20-second explanation of how we somehow were in some ranking, yet within that ranking I feel like we were behind people we should have been ahead of. What was that ranking? It was a ranking of, uh, if you go into iTunes and you go by category and you pick sports, It'll give you the top 200 podcasts. We were like number 199 and a half. But 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 what is it based on? Do you know? I think it's just like listens and downloads. It, like it fluctuates. So it was listen. I think it's listens and downloads subscribers on that particular day. I mean, what's that? It was two days ago because we must have had a good day. People listening to the post game pod. People reviewing. Which uh, if you haven't, we ask that you do five stars only, please. Um, unless you feel it's a four, that's fine. I guess we're a four. You're, I'm telling you what. You know what's going to start getting us fours and threes? My hot food takes. Not not just food. You dropped it in again this week, and you think I didn't notice. What I do? Your outright attacks on vanilla are just <laughs> oh. unfair. <laughs> we know where you stand. Now it feels personal, Bill. What I did s- vanilla ever do to you? Just, just, I don't, okay, I don't... now don't say it. Don't say it. Vanilla gave him an F on a test in school once. Yeah. Did like a, did you have your heart broken over a vanilla? Now we go back in the wayback machine. Ooh. Bill's sitting and there's a girl. You know when I was six. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. All right, thanks for listening to Buckeye Talk. We'll be at Nebraska on Saturday. Read our stuff, previewing the game. Uh, reach out to us on Twitter. Um, thanks again for listening. We know we appreciate you guys. Really, really good. I think the main thing in the past six months that has. Uh, really improved in Buckeye Talk is the way you guys are interacting with us, with the questions that you send, the comments that you have. Um, We sort of started dabbling in food, and you guys have really made it fun with some of the crazy stuff you come up with. Um, If we're we're not sure of what to talk about football-wise, you always have some really insightful questions about the team, some big-picture stuff that's fun to talk about. We welcome that all the time. Please send them anytime during the week. Um, and we'll save them and, and talk about them on the next Buckeye Talk. We do it on – put them up on Wednesdays and then after the game. So we'll have one up sometime Sunday morning um, off the Nebraska game. And then we – just so you know, next week is a bye week, mm-hmm. but we will do a podcast. We will be here on Wednesday a week from now with a Buckeye Talk podcast. Can I make a, a live suggestion suggestion to you guys? Penn State plays Michigan Saturday night. I think we should have a post-game podcast off of that and what we think about Penn State. We don't think meet Saturday night at midnight after the game, but I think Sunday we should talk about it. All right, I'm not going to be here. Great. But we can probably figure something out. Yeah. I might be on the phone. I can, dro- I can drop by. I'll, I'll be here. You're not invited now, Tim. No, but here's, here's what you do. <laughs> you guys come to my basement. I'll leave a key under the mat. There we go. And you guys just rip one off and get me on the phone. Even if it means, I just think we should talk, like we should do a normal Wednesday podcast. We should be talking about what we think of Penn State fresh off of that game in some form if we can. All right, we'll try to do that. We'll try to do that. The people want it. All right, that was a long ending. This might be the longest one ever. We're not talking about it, though, because it is what it is. And there's no Marty's Hour 44. 40 minutes, 44 seconds. He's Bill. He's Tim. I'm Doug. You're the listeners. We thank you every week. And that was Buckeye Talk.